John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 702.LA0417, certificate number 35916, the last Soviet citizen. Uh, what was it? Last week we did a space-oriented show. Right, Moon Rocks. Moon Rocks, and that was sort of inspired by your love of the show For All Mankind. I mean, you and I are also pretty big. Space nerds. Space nerds. You have a Saturn V Lego rocket, as we've discussed before, that's four feet tall. Yeah, Christmas present. But I, I, but I dutifully built it. I'm a good dad. I had a friend who, um, I asked her what, you know, what, her dream present was, and she said, oh, the Saturn V Lego rocket, but it's not available anymore. And I went online and found that they had just reissued it and so bought her the Saturn V wow. Lego rocket. As though I'd found it on the internet. You lucked into to what good boyfriend points or whatever. So I have actually built one now too. And uh, I can attest to the fact that it took, a, it took a while. It did. And there's a lot of stuff in there. Like all the interior is also part of it, although you don't see it unless you take it apart. It's true. There's a you can, there's a little, you know, the whole capsule on the top is there. Yeah. There's a little, there's a little, uh, moonscape. You can put the lunar lander on. The 55 Corvette that they took up with them is in there. I saw online some Lego fans have been building like the the private space rockets, the Blue Origin and the oh. SpaceX rockets. So far, Lego has not endorsed, but we'll see. Well, that's too bad because you know you can you can submit ideas now. You can be like, I built the uh, I built the Cosby Show house. Well, we're not putting that out. Have Have you been to Blue Origins? It seems like with your Bezos friendship that you might have gotten a field trip. I have not, and it's there is no. Bezos friendship. You and Jeff are like two peas in a in a Hold space on, that's, pod. That's so funny. That you think, let me text him and tell him you're saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Lol. Uh, Why don't you text Tom Hanks and tell him to text Jeff? And you guys can get a little three three way going on. I have I have seen Jeff in the audience at a TED Talk like thing. That's about it. Mr. Bezos, Mr. Luther, we call him. 
I have been to Blue Origins. Yes, you got a tour from uh, from a rocket scientist. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, this was a, a few years ago, a handful of years ago. So I'm sure they've progressed well beyond what they showed me. Well, they've put men in orbit since right. then. They had and they women had not done that at the time. Uh, but yeah, they looked like the space capsules looked like little greenhouses, little little pagodas. They had bigger windows than a than a seven eight seven. Well, the old Apollo astronauts were spamming a can, right. but you can't make a billionaire be spamming a can. He no, wants, sir. He wants to be uh, the man in a can, caviar in a can. Yeah, can of caviar. Does that come up in this episode? What was I? What was I watching that was all about a can of caviar? No, it wasn't something I was watching. Boy, this is uh, this is great radio. Me trying to remember where I heard. Let's, about a can of let's caviar. play. Are these random thoughts from John's head going to be in this omnibus or not? Round one. Can of caviar. A can of caviar. Turns Go. out, no. Uh, we've discussed space travel a lot because, as you say, we're both nerds. And I don't remember what your answer to the question of would you go to Mars was. Yeah, I think so. But I'm actually, I mean, I've always thought like I was a, you know, I would jump at space tourism were it ever you know, safe and affordable, which maybe won't happen in my lifetime. I mean, Mars, you're just, the problem is you're devoting years of your life. The rest of, probably. Well, they could get us back. Yeah. They got Mount Damon back. Maybe. But it took some doing. But yeah, if you were going, I mean, would you go to Mars as part of a colony, like go to colonize Mars? Uh, Oh, I see. To live and die on Mars. To go and, and. I thought I was visiting. Well, okay. Somebody's got to go there and set up a thing for you to visit. I just want to go see if there's, um, if that that big Bugs Bunny guy has a giant cannon pointed at Earth. I'm going to destroy the Earth with Hello, my cat. positron accelerator. Uh, but if not, if that guy's not there and there's no cannon, mm, probably not. I feel like there's not a lot, to, not a lot to do. I think that there will be affordable enough <laughs> space tourism, and you have the kind of of uh, beloved celebrity that might somebody might gift you a spot right like yeah. let's put ken jennings on this put thing. me in your rocket yeah uh i want to go i want to go like this candle i just want to go into orbit and get a get a brief poetic insight into uh-huh. all of our pro- i mean i get that a little bit uh, just on a plane where you're like oh we're all one people Man, the I people just, of oregon and the people of washington when are- you get up above <laughs> um you know you eat some peanuts your, your, your thoughts just become so much more elevated um do, would you be sad? I, all these like low orbit shots where it just goes up and you're in space and then it comes back down. That just seems like a drag. But that's what it's going to be. It's going to be an amusement park ride, basically. Yeah. But you do you still get the view. Yeah, whoop de doo. What are you? You're holding out for the moon or nothing? No, I want moon to, or bust. I want to do that Felix Baumgartner thing where you <laughs> jump, jump, go up in a balloon and jump out. One way trip. Would you do space? Uh, would you do space colonization? Let's say you get called. No. The president calls you and says, John, we need you on Mars. I was with a group of, of uh, not surprisingly, dudes uh, on a trip to Africa several years ago, and we were sitting in the airport. This is a little bit of a humble brag. Sitting in the airport in, where were we, uh, Djibouti? And <laughs> the question went around, would you go, would you be a Mars colonist? And the other three guys of the four of us said instantly like yes absolutely what yes don't they have like families they and do. careers and mortgage payments they do and i was like well what about they, your family and they lying. were like this is a historic moment you know would i go yes and it came to me and i said no 
No. I feel no. like it's pretty easy to see if those guys would do that because then you could be like, well, what if you, uh, what if you wanted to go do, what if you were asked to go do Habitat for Humanity in, uh, in Honduras for three weeks? Would you do that? No. Okay. If your answer is no, you are not colonizing Mars. No, I think it is that they don't care about humanity. They want to go <laughs> to Mars and be part of like space. No, I think you're really just not thinking about the interruption it would be in everything else about your soul. You're thinking you would put space above that, but actually that's because you think about space in a in a different pop culture realm. The second it collides with your um you know, your 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 monthly dinner club, you're like, "Oh no, I can't go to space this month." Actually. The thing is they might just really want to get away from their families that much. That's a revealing question then. Yeah. But no, I feel like there's... A therapist should ask that question. A couple's therapy. Would you go to, Which would you of go you to would colonize Mars? Okay, we have a problem. I think there's too much to do around here. And um, I'm not dissatisfied. And also, I don't want to live in a in a place where uh, one tiny like uh, HVAC problem might result in all of our blood boiling. And also, I'm claustrophobic. I don't... I just don't see any any kind of like enticement it's not even like are you you know will you go to the new world the land of promise the seven cities of gold it really is like this place is way worse than antarctica to the degree that we don't know if this is possible yeah no no Wanna thank live you in a, in a in a state of complete austerity eating food out of a tube for four years in the hopes that you can biodome to the the necessary leafy green vegetables no i'm gonna say no no uh, but a lot of people want to go. A lot of futurelings are listening right now from the planet Mars going, you have no idea what you're missing. We have constant raves here in our underground party palaces. Did you see Matrix 2? Because that's us. We've turned it into a tropical garden. Our atmosphere is so thick that it's 85 degrees here every day. A lot of, In the 21st century, a lot of dummies thought they wouldn't want to go to Mars. and Yeah. They can suck it. They yeah. they deserve what they get. No Mars. Ken and John, a couple of chicken, chicken, bok boks, two scaredy pants to actually take the cool journey. What about my four hundred one k? Yeah, now their their descendants are living on a on a a burned out rock full of replicants. Mars is where it's at. Except I, part of it is just my built-in skepticism that Mars is not where it's at. I don't think it's where it's at either. I think we should build giant circular space stations, as I've described before. It's important that they be circular. Well, so you can jog, so that you have you have the, the, the feeling of gravity. Your fantasies always have such specific shapes. The lighthouse better have a certain number of sides. Seven. The space station better not. Better be round. round. I'm so disappointed in the way our space stations look, with their solar wings and their little circular trash can pods. They're kind of like McMansions. You can tell they just all got built out a little bit at a time and now they're too big and the roof line doesn't make sense. Yeah, they're dormers over the garage. <laughs> they don't need to be there. I mean, they they built it because it had to fit either on top of a rocket or inside of a space shuttle. I understand. That's what they all look like. I understand. But once you get up there, you could you could uh you could tinker toy it, right? Couldn't you? You know, just send beams up there and and plastic wrap. Or at least like some of those inflatable holiday animals. Yeah. Like why don't they have like a a a, a Snoopy doghouse with um with a Christmas tree out uh, out front? Yeah. How cool would that be? Like a Macy's Day parade, Garfield. You'd, you'd hardly even have to put like in the vacuum of space. You you know if you put the tiniest bit of gas in it, it would go. Whoosh, yeah, right? but I think it's all the tiny little photon particles. Uh, oh, going the, through your body. All and, the neutrinos mutate Snoopy. Yeah. Well, no. That's just, what. That's how you get Spike. 
<laughs> Snoopy's badass brother. Snoopy's weird mustachioed brother. No, I think it's that the yeah the neutrinos go through and make Swiss cheese out of your liver really fast. Although I don't know how being on a space station changes that, frankly. There's all these parts about space that are probably going to kill you, and we just think it's fine because nobody's ever been in space more than, you know, a few months. I guess we're going to find out. Go ahead and guess how long somebody's been in space. It's probably that Mark Kelly guy or that Canadian guy with the guitar-playing brother. Nope. Is it a, is it a Russian? Yes, it's all Russians. It's Russians all the way down. Like the it's like the top twenty are all Russian. Well, the top five, I think. Yeah, I mean, Mark Kelly's probably in there somewhere. But is it less than a year? Uh, let's What's, see. What is the record? Well, okay, so the I record, guess continuous or total, right? Yeah, exactly. the 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 record for continuous, uh, the record for the longest is over a year, four hundred and thirty seven days. Is that is that continuous or is that, that is, like total? That is continuous. The uh, the total record, um, the Russian cosmonaut Gennady Padalka, okay, uh, spent eight hundred and seventy nine days total in space over the course of four missions. Did he ever turn into a star child and uh, hover in orbit? I don't think it did. Not make the newspapers if he did. <laughs> What if he did and he just, <laughs> it just like never made the just, U.S. papers? Just like, just sweep it under the rug. So whenever that happens, it's after day 838. Yeah. You're so like, star child. You know, th- this was fairly common. Uh, in 1972, when we were just ending our long period of trying to p- put people on the moon to collect rocks to bring back and give to Honduras. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which didn't, turn out, didn't even want him. Right. The Soviets were uh they realized that they weren't going to beat us to the moon they weren't even going to get to the moon it's very hard to do turns out except in the for all mankind universe but they did uh they did decide to pioneer space stations and in 72 they launched their salut mm-hmm. which is uh, russian for salute and it's saluting the uh the work of yuri gagarin it's as a, the first man in space. So canonically, the name is a salute to Yuri Gagarin. Yeah. Salute. Oh, wow. Salute to Yuri. We should have a space station called, Good Job, John Glenn. Good or, job. Or, uh, Love you, Buzz. Well, yeah. The International Space Station is so boring. Why isn't it oh called, like, Jammin' Town? Or... <laughs> it turns out there's no single noun ethos that all the nations could agree on. Yeah. Like, even freedom seems a little... China's not into it. Yeah, they could have called it Liberté. What's something we all agree on? Cheese. Bit- we Bitco- all agree on cheese. Bitcoin. No, they, they don't eat a lot of dairy in Asia. Oh, I see what you're saying. A lot of them are lactose intolerant. We uh, shouldn't be eating cheese even. Uh, what do we all agree on? Water. It should have been called, well, <laughs> there's no water there though. <laughs> anyway, so Salute went up in 72 and it was, uh, you know, initially a trash can that could hold, uh, that was designed to hold three cosmonauts. Um, they realized pretty early on that um, they they put Salyut up there, and then there was a there was a like a broken part, and um, they couldn't get the door open. So they sent the space station up, and then the first Wait, crew they, they couldn't get in, or they couldn't get yeah, out. They couldn't get in. The first crew came came up in uh, in their uh, Soyuz. Uh, spaceship, and they were like, 
couldn't get the door open. They're trying to like, they keep pressing in the number, but then, you know, the enter key doesn't work. Yeah. Was it the door? So then they sent another crew up, which. Like a locksmith? Yeah. Like fix the door. And they were up there for like three weeks. But then on the way down, their capsule let all, there was a leak and all the air rushed out. And cosmonauts at the time were not wearing spacesuits. Oh. And so they all died. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, the whole the whole mission. Yeah, pretty pretty much of a drag, considering that they had successfully spent all this time in space, which was pretty which was pretty cool. It's funny how little I know about Russian space casualties. Yeah, we don't talk about it as much. Well, and a lot of the Soviet ones they didn't talk about either. Exactly. There's probably some secret ones. Well, uh, and so then they had to redesign the capsule in order to prevent it from springing a leak and killing all the cosmonauts. So after that, they could only put two cosmonauts in it um, in order to or, make room for their spacesuits. Plus, it eliminates the downside. If you've only got two people in there, you know, depressurization is uh, a third less serious. Right. That's right. Except uh, what it does is it increases loneliness. Um, to only have two, three to two is a big difference. It is because, uh, you'd think two to one would be the deal killer three to two, huh? What, one of the things about, uh, space stations as time went on was recognizing that you kind of needed to leave somebody up there. If you left a space station alone and something minor went wrong, the space station could uh, go haywire. And that actually happened. Like just because you lose the continuity or just because while nobody's there, something goes wrong. Yeah. While somebody, while something's there, all of a sudden, uh, it loses electrical power because some breaker flipped and then the stabilizing jets that keep it on an even keel stop working. And then all of a sudden your space station is tumbling through space and you can't communicate with it. And then docking with it to fix it becomes a challenge. That all happened with Salute 7 in the mid-80s, huh. and it was it kind of it taught a lesson to everybody going to space, like, we need to keep at least one person there uh, when the spaceship goes back. And I mean, talk about, um, talk about being the lonely, oh, what a lonely boy. Drawing the, sh- the short straw. Yeah, well, and generally... I guess I will stay, comrades. <laughs> after, after they figured out to put geologists on the moon... They also figured out that you needed an engineer among your cosmonauts. Like, if you're going to send three people up there, only one of them can be a poet, and one of them's got to be a uh, like a Navy Top Gun, and then the third one is an engineer. And uh, and that's how you keep your machine functioning. And really, he should be the introvert because he's going to be all alone, right? But I guess you you already said engineer, so you've, yeah, there you go. You've got that covered. Um, so throughout the 70s and 80s, uh, the Soviets were throwing up various salutes. Um, and Did each of, one salute a different person? Even, well, no, I think was they it like were, a salute to it, country music. <laughs> and this year's Grammy Awards, a salute to Motown. <laughs> up With People presents... Uh, and they were also improving their Soyuz capsules so that they didn't need, so that they could put a third person in there mm-hmm. and, you know, they figured out a way to keep people from dying. Um, 
and they stayed up longer and longer and longer. Uh, the, the, the Soyuz could remain in orbit and teams could come and go. They would often have, uh, people show up to, for a visit and stay, you know, there'd be a space mission and they'd come up for five days and then leave, or they would trade people out, trade cosmonauts out. Um, and you know, they had great food, first run movies. No, they didn't actually have either one of those. I'm guessing the food was terrible. Now, during the same and, period, and that's a lot of time to just be so close to somebody. Well, yeah, but it's the it's that whole vibe of like I'm a scientist, and so I don't need. I mean, every scientist I know needs a lot of personal space. Right, that's what I'm thinking. But they all spend all that time in the centrifuge, learning to, you know, to have their their lips flapping, and also not need any room, no elbow room. I almost think I would want there to be a bunch of emergencies, like the tadpoles keep getting out and are flying around in zero G. Because if you're just like sitting there doing your work every day, like nine inches maximum from the other guy who's also doing his work, I mean, you guys are just going to hate, hate each other. other yeah, really no hate each other. Yeah. Um, you talked in the, the Moon Rocks episode about Nixon uh, shutting down the space program or, or, the, or NASA's space program getting cut to ribbons. Yeah. The one thing that didn't get cut from that in, during that big cut was the Skylab program. I wonder if it was largely for public relations, like, okay, we're not going to the moon anymore, but look what we got. Well, a Skylab. And also, the Russians now had put up a space station. You got to keep up with Salyut. Yeah. And Salyut gap. So it was, it was also a kind of, well, now we've picked up rocks off the moon. Science. We can take science to space. And... People can do all these, and and the Mars mission was a justification for the beginning of some of these experiments because it was always seen as like, well, we've been to the moon, what's next? What's it like for people in space for long term? Right. What would what organisms would thrive in zero g or less gravity or? And it was understood that there that you would be there was no way to prevent uh, cosmonauts or astronauts from getting these massive doses of of solar radiation. Uh, that were at a risk for cancer. You turn into the Fantastic Four. Uh, you could turn into the Fantastic Four. It it would really affect your uh, immune system. Oh, is that right? Being in space, but also your muscles would atrophy. Your bone density would uh, disappear. See, this to me is the kind of built-in hard cap that maybe we can't get around, and space is just a non-starter. And maybe we should all just be uh, digging deep into the earth. Well, that's why your space station has to be round, Ken, because then you can jog. And um, uh, apparently losing your eyesight is also a risk of being in space. Because of the cosmic rays going through your retina? It's got to be all cosmic rays all the time. Maybe there's just nothing good to look at after a while. Hmm. And your eyes get bored. Your eyes evolve away from it. (laughs) Um, So let's go to as much fun as it is to talk about uh, pop music. Let's go Go ahead to the late 1980s. Um, the the Salyut systems have kind of run their course. the 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 experience of Salyut Seven, get uh, Salyut Six was a really great Salyut. Salyut Seven was this one that was constantly cursed. This seems like something Chicago fans argue about. <laughs> Salyut Seven was the best. No man, Salyut Six before Satara left. <laughs> 
Um, so after all the problems with Salyut 7, uh, the, the Soviets had already uh, decided that they were going to transition to what we think of now as modular space stations. Like the first Salyut only had one docking port, so it was you couldn't leave anybody on board because there was only one spaceship, uh, right? If, if another one was going to come... You had oh, to get rid of the one, you know, or 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 you or you'd leave somebody leave behind somebody with no behind. spaceship just in case, right? So he's got no way down. And then later, Salyut's had two had had a docking port on either end, two, um, like a two car garage. Yeah, you could park one, and then another one could come. Um, and but Salyut Seven was was uh, was plagued, and so so Mir was the new system, and this was going to be. Like a precursor to the International Space Station, it was a it was going to be a modular system. You could you could keep building onto it, launch more trash cans up, and connect them to each other. Put up solar sails. Um, and for Gen X, it kind of seemed like it was just understood back then because the U.S. hadn't really had any kind of orbital presence since Skylab, maybe that I can think of. Which means like we had kind of left space stations to the Russians, and so it was even bleaker than abandoning the moon. It was like, and we kind of abandoned. <laughs> Orbit too. Like yeah. the Russians have space stations. What do we have? Well, we're working the on a shuttle. Yeah, and then and then when the shuttle came, you know that was that made us feel really cool because it looked like a very fat space plane. It was just a little too chonk to be. You remember? You remember the the? I, can't, I hate to keep referring to two thousand one a space odyssey, but you remember the Pan Am like turbo it's kind of long and spindly? Yeah, and it looks like sleek. a Concorde. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, the, the argument for the space shuttle being a big chonker was that it was going to, it had that payload bay and it was going to be able to take up all these trash can parts to take satellites up with it. Um, and this was an era where even though the cold war was, was heating up, there was a lot of collaboration between the Russian and American space programs or rather Soviet and American space programs, because as you say, they were the only game in town in terms of actually building a thing. But we were kind of, you know, we would go stop by and visit. I feel like I didn't even know that space stations were real. Like I thought they were just in movies. And then the fact that the Russians had one, come on. I know. And, and what were they doing up there? They were doing Rubik's cubes. They were playing uh, Tetris chess. Yeah. Lots of chess. So Mir, um, you know, Mir was designed to hold up to 12 astronauts. Huh. Uh, but, but again, like some of them just stopping by for dinner, like people would go up, there'd be a, there'd be a hang. And then it's in the same way that a hotel suite could accommodate 12 people. Yeah. Like after the show, maybe, but not all night. I mean, you could you could have 12 people there for a short period, but yeah. it was really, you know, it was a three-man crew was there to maintain it and do the science and, and keep the machine running. John, you're probably going to start selling something online. <sighs> yes. Is it micro-housing? Yes. Is it... Camels. Is it camels? Nobody knows. I've got so many things to sell, t-shirts also. Uh, probably but, start with them, but it's daunting because you get into that space of online sales and you're competing with big, big companies. What is a scrappy little entrepreneur like? Uh, like what do you, what do you call your fit company, Roderick uh, Enterprises? No, the Roderick Group. What what, what is what, how does the Roderick Group compete with the big players? Well, you know, Ken, 
there is a company that I've been looking at that's going to help the Roderick Group get in front of customers and get our products out in into the marketplace. Are you allowed to name this company or does it violate any kind of NDA or what it's submarine the negotiations you have going on? Can you tell our listeners? I'm going to tell you, Ken, and let's just pretend that there aren't tens of thousands of people listening. Let's whisper it in case it's a secret. I'm going to tell you about Shopify. Shopify. That's right. Shopify is more than a store. It helps you connect with your customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. I like the idea of a company like this that can give us a little startup like us all the resources that that only big business used to have. Mm-hmm. Um, synchronizing online and in-person sales, scaling their business no matter how big it gets, taking advantage of social media networks to reach customers because they integrate with all these apps and channels. It allows me to accept all major payment methods. Ooh. It offers thousands, thousands of integrations. And third-party apps. I like the reporting stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like it'll tell you how your business is growing and when and where, what your profit margins are like in various sectors. This seems like more than a store. It seems like it's running a big part of your business for you. Shopify believes in liberating commerce for all. So, so 100% compatible with Marxism <laughs> and compatible with capitalism. Um, it unlocks opportunities for my business or your business to more people every day. Every 28 seconds, an entrepreneur like me makes their first camel sale on Spotify. And all told, all told, if you add up all those 28 seconds, let me let you know, John, that Shopify now provides these growth tools for over 1.7 million businesses worldwide. So go to shopify.com slash omnibus, all lowercase omnibus. That's shopify.com slash all lowercase Omnibus for a free 14-day trial and get free access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Wow, full access to their whole suite of features. Mm -hmm. Grow your business like those 2 million others with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash omnibus right now. At shopify.com slash lowercase omnibus. So now we're going to uh, that great, great year, 1991, um, these are the these are the uh, voyages the of the starship Mir. Uh, this is the end of the Soviet Union. Uh, Gorbachev is the uh, the head of the country, and he has introduced Glasnost and Perestroika, sweeping political and economic reforms, ending the Soviet system as we know it. Yeah, and it was a it was it was all kind of tumbling along. There was nothing at the time that seemed inevitable about it. He was granting a little bit more autonomy to the Baltic states, a little bit more autonomy to Kazakhstan, but but the idea being that, oh, we're just going to transition to a federation of states uh, and not go all the way to not being this wonderful CCCP that's done so much for the world. I realize, I remember now that spanned an Olympics. There was actually an Olympics where the CIS is competing which is pretty much the equivalent of uh, Liz Truss being yeah. the prime minister at the Queen's funeral. Pretty brief. The The Commonwealth of Independent States is what CIS was. Right. And um, uh, the thing was that when, when Gorbachev said, hey, you know, we're going to let a little bit of, you know, give a little bit of my life to you, 
Uh, Kazakhstan replied in October of 1990 by saying, actually, we're going to be a sovereign state within the Commonwealth of Independence. Ooh, it was all Kazakhstan's doing? Kazakhstan was the first uh, to kind of take the big moonwalk out the side door. Well, and, and coincidentally enough, they would have the space program. Exactly. So the Cosmodrome was in Kazakhstan. And um, and it complicated the space thing, but not not too much at first, right? They were still we'll, kind of playing nice with the... We'll let everybody use Baikonur. Yeah, we're still... It's all cool. Am I right? It's all cool. Um... But then the there was a there was a coup attempt a year later in August of 1991 that Gorbachev survived but by Christmas day 1991 um Gorbachev declared the USSR a thing of the past it was on Christmas i didn't remember that or the yeah the day after christmas it it um did three ghosts come to him Three ghosts came to Gorbachev. Lenin, Stalin, and Khrushchev. <laughs> and Khrushchev. When the bell no, Brezhnev, Brezhnev was the last one. <laughs> uh, or and drop-off. Um, but the issue, for the purposes of our story, is that in May of 1991, a Soyuz... Uh, spaceship, which was the, the, um, you know, the, the shuttle, the, the, I'm sorry, the space capsule mm-hmm. that took astronauts up or cosmonauts, uh, went up and this was a time before the, the coup attempt when the Commonwealth of independent States seemed like a fairly stable, you know, Gorbachev during this period was making friends with the West Introducing economic reforms, it seemed like a fun time, and the space program wa- uh, in the Soviet Union was was huckledy bucking right along. This was during a time we've talked about the Buran uh, Russian space shuttle. Oh, right, before Burin. on the show, and they were developing, you know, uh, a Buran that looks exactly like the space shuttle, but it was going to be primarily devoted to expanding Mir and servicing Mir. So the burn was going to really transform Mir because it was... As compared to sending Soyuzes up and down. Yeah, yeah. right. Now we were going to have a, a real jet airplane. So three cosmonauts, or rather two cosmonauts and an astronaut, um, Sergei Krikalev and uh, a British astronaut or UK astronaut Helen Sharman and Ukrainian astronaut Anatoly Artsabarsky. Artsabarsky. Went up to uh, to replace the the team that was at Mir, do some you know shucking and jiving, have some uh, some turkey dinner in a in a bag, and then take over with the plan that they were going to do three hundred days uh, a three hundred day rotation. Two of them were Helen Sharman was only there for a week. She had she came up. She had a a mission to do special guest star Helen Sharman, and then she was she was bugging out. He went up for what was a five month mission. So Sergey and Anatoly were intended to spend five months there. Not Helen. Helen was only going to be there for eight days. 
Because if she stays up there too long, you might squeeze the Charmin, if you know what I mean. Uh, no? Helen, Helen, if you're listening, I apologize. <laughs> what are the odds? Uh, she, she had a, a more limited mission. She was a, a guest, a, a, an astronaut from the UK. But it's, the, it's like on the love boat. It's like on the love boat. Some That's people right. are there every week. That's right. Some people just come up Some one, people for don't, one week. Their storyline doesn't even go to the end of the episode <laughs> sometimes. Like, uh, like when Hodgman guest starred on 30 Rock. And you can tell he's, he's there right at the beginning of the episode, but you can tell that they were like, whoa, he's a little, he's a little intense. And I think they wrote him out. His storyline does not. <laughs> no, they wrote him out in the first been, 10 minutes. It could have just been edited for time. Sometimes, sometimes that happens. I don't know. It was a little strange. Anyway, so up they go. They're up there doing some space. They're doing some, um, they're doing some science. And all of a sudden there's a coup attempt in the Soviet Union. And they're not, so they're getting their news through the official control. Yeah, right? official sources. And nobody's really giving them a clear picture of like, what's going on down there? It sounds like, so, is there somebody in the background? Like, are, are you, t- care, is somebody yelling? But they don't also have, um, you know, the equivalent of the internet, you know, nobody can go on CNN.com and see what's really happening. Or they, they don't, although Sergey is, it may not surprise you. A ham radio nerd. A ham radio <laughs> nerd. No. Yes, and he's got his I little... I was just joking. He's got his little pocket radio, and he's able to uh, pick up broadcasts, you know, from Earth and, and talk to other nerds. Boy, and, what, what a what a um, feather in your cap that would be! I'm sure every collector is trying to talk to the guy on Mirror. I know, I know, right? And be like, guess what? Guess what's in the news today? I can add that. Well, I mean, everybody just wants to put a new station on their list. That's what I've learned about the ham world. But is that so? He finds out about the coup from like just some ham radio guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not. They're not getting much information from the from uh, Mission Control, but then. Uh, who boy, here it is Christmas, and, and who boy, there they are up there. And w- wait a minute, when is Orthodox Christmas? Oh, that's true. Orthodox is was it just a coincidence that, um, that it happened on Christmas and in Russia that day had no significance? Yeah, so Eastern Orthodox Christmas, at least this year, is January 7th. No, yeah. I think that that is it's I like think, Epiphany, right? I they think always... January 7th is. Is actually the date, and then the holiday changes depending on what the next Monday is. But the coup was on our December Christmas on on okay. December twenty fifth. So, so it really interrupted the shopping season for them, for us, and for them. Right? It 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 definitely. Uh, what was I doing in nineteen ninety one on Christmas? Hmm. Mm, who cares? I was a junior in high school, so I, I don't. I don't even know what the story there would be. Those were the grunge years for me. I don't even know right. if I went home for Christmas. I was just probably like laying like a wastrel behind a dumpster somewhere. I probably got green and document by REM on CD. That's what I was doing. You were getting document on CD in 1991? Yeah. I was you little, didn't have it already? I was a little late. Oh, I see. Right. Of course. You were young. Uh, so uh, uh, two weeks before Christmas, they interrupted their Yule log consumption, you'll log in a tube, when word came to them that the Soviet Union had dissolved. 
and that's a huge bummer if you're a cosmonaut. That's the call every cosmonaut hates to get. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, we yeah. have some terrible news for you, comrade. You say what now? <laughs> it's just a prank. Put Gregor on. Yeah. Go, go back. <laughs> go back to the part where you were. So, um, so immediately, Kazakhstan said, uh, because the ruble was in big trouble. Right. Um, the economies of a lot of these post-Soviet countries uh, were all spinning around. Sergey is kind of uh, trying to figure out what's happening down there. The nation of Kazakhstan realizes that they have a, kind of a they have a, a money making opportunity here, and they immediately start charging big dollars for use of their cosmodrome. We've got a space program. You don't. Neener, neener, neener. And, you know, Ukraine, of course, had the second greatest number of nuclear bombs in the world at the time. And I think they regret having given that up. Kazakhstan uh, kept their cosmodrome. But all of a sudden, Russia was out of money. I'm sorry. All of a sudden, the Soviet Union was now Russia, and they were out of money, and they sort of pulled a Nixon and canceled the Burren space shuttle uh, and basically like um, put uh, put on the back burner all of their big space projects. The space program is basically on hold. Yeah. Unfortunately, there they've are, got two guys in orbit. There are two guys up there. Um, and... So the the new sort of Russian uh, Department of Human Spaceflight says, okay, you guys just keep on keeping on, and uh, we'll get back to you real soon. Um, Astronauts are always hearing that in movies. We're, we're working on a checklist for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't have a functioning government or economy, but we're, we're working up a checklist for you. We'll, we'll have that procedure up to you soon. Just hold tight. Over. Um, so, in the subsequent months, um, Russia is trying to earn some money, and they they start to advertise uh, seats on the Soyuz to Mir as a kind of like, hey. Do you want to send an astronaut to Mir? Other nations? Like to other nation space programs. Yeah, not not saying like, hey... They're um, not asking Richard Branson. Yeah, hey, rich American. Um, they're saying like, hey, we'll let you, we'll let you nation of Austria, mm-hmm. send an, an astronaut to Mir. And so Austria pays $7 million to send an Austrian astronaut up with a Soyuz flight. Uh, Japan, just, just, just as a national mark of prestige, because Austria didn't, probably never had a well, and astronaut you know, before. to do Austrian science, which is, I guess, to take a pretzel and a schnitzel up there and see if you can get them to mate and make a schnitzel. See what a schnitzel tastes like in zero gravity. <laughs> uh, Japan pays twelve million dollars to send a TV reporter up, which is the most Japanese thing in the world. Like, set a guy up there, like to do stunt TV with his waifu pillow. <laughs> 
That is funny. And he, he comes up with a whole game show concept. I'm in, sure he in does. Zero G. Right, where everybody is naked and, and, uh, and crawls around. But what that did was it meant that although people were coming to Mir, none of them were space engineers that could actually maintain the spaceship. And so uh, Japanese TV hosts and hosts and Austrian uh, pretzel scientists were coming to visit. Um, and after the original sort of 150-day, five-month mission time elapsed, uh, the his Ukrainian counterpart, Anatoly Artsabarsky, had fulfilled his five-month obligation and gave a hearty handshake to Sergei Krikalev and got on a Soyuz home. There was already a Soyuz parked there. Yeah. Nobody had to send anything up for him. It was coming. It, well, it had, it had come with some space supplies. Sp- supplies and tourists and whatnot. And then they were going home and Anatoly went with them. I see. And was that a scheduled uh, rotation? Well, it was. I guess they both overstayed their param- mission parameters. If it was not necessary for the Russian space program to be selling these seats in order to earn money to actually make these flights, they would have sent, the plan was for them to send another replacement engineer up to rotate Sergei back to the world. But they didn't have space, and he was the only one that had the engineering skills to repair the broken switches, keep the lights on. He if, had to stay. Yeah. If uh, if a hose came un, unscrewed, he was the only one that knew how to screw it back together. If you leave it, could the Americans have just claimed it? If he heads home, could we have just flown up and planted a flag? Huh, I wonder. Well, you know, we did have a space shuttle then, and we were able to connect to mir i'm not sure right. what i'm not sure why the americans didn't intervene at this point because later on when we put up the international space station the russians really closely collaborated with us and there were cosmonauts there all the time and all that a lot of this the iss got put into space after the space shuttles were grounded, so a lot of that stuff went up on Russian rockets. Hmm. Um, what's interesting is that there was an escape pod there connected to Mir, the Raduga reentry capsule that Sergey could have gotten into and Emer- flown home. Emergencies only, but um, but he didn't want to. He's a hero of the Soviet Union, both figuratively and literally. Uh, he didn't want to leave the space station unattended, partly because of what happened with Sally at seven. Um, they didn't want to lose this, this investment, even though it was unclear who actually owned it or cared about it. Um, at one point. So then Sergei Krikalev, cosmonaut Krikalev was extremely worried that he was losing bone density and muscle mass and eyesight and immune system to the degree that it would be 
either fatal or disabling Irre- for the rest of his life. Irreversible. Yeah. yeah that, and, and he is seeing, this isn't hypochondria, he's actually seeing evidence of these things. His health is not great. He's, he's exercising four hours a day, but as we've seen with subsequent s- space programs, it's st- still not yeah, enough. That, that doesn't, your jogging is not going to work unless the thing is spinning. Yeah, well, and you have to be, I think they use giant rubber bands to give themselves some resistance I just think the microgravity does stuff to your bone density yeah. that no that no exercise routine is going to Pilates is not going to help you. Yeah, agreed. And and it's ruining your I mean I'm sure it changes everything. I'm sure your boogers are perfectly round. Yeah, what are space boogers like? I bet you they're they're weird. I bet you space boogers are weird. Where's the PhD paper on that? There's so many PhD papers on stuff we don't care about. Where's the space booger? paper exactly anyway he started to ask like hey can you you know bring me some stuff that will remind me of home he asked for he asked somebody to bring him a jar of honey um but he's a simple man isn't he he just wants a little sweet honey and that's how bad his life is that but i think he the, doesn't even have honey the soviet space program said like oh honey's too expensive and they brought him horseradish is that right yeah Boy, I don't know about too expensive, but... I mean, if I... I don't know much about cuisine, but I don't think that's a good recipe substitution. <laughs> no. If you don't have honey, just try... Why not try horseradish? Yeah. Hints come, from Heloise. Come on. Come on. Uh, anyway, eventually, uh, what happened was, eventually, in March of 1992, Germany stepped up and paid $24 million to send their... Astronaut engineer Klaus Dietrich Flade, who finally had the the uh, switch switching ability necessary to replace Sergei, and he boarded his spacecraft and returned in a spacesuit that said CCCP across the front of it to a completely transformed Russia. No longer, you know, at this point now. Uh, he was a, he was actually from Leningrad, but when he returned, it was St. <laughs> Petersburg. It's, it's like George Bailey. Yeah. He's wearing a spacesuit for a country that doesn't exist. His town's got the same name. Yeah. Well, who was the last person I was talking to? But Martini, Martini will know what happened. He, uh, he returned with a couple of uh, fellow cosmonauts, but when he got to the ground, he was described as pale and sweaty and shriveled. And he couldn't stand. Uh, he had, Unlike most Russian men, he was pale, sweaty, and shriveled. And pale, sweaty, and shriveled. Most Russian men are pale, sweaty, and bloated. That's how you can tell the difference if you've been in space for uh, for 311 days, get this which is man what it ended up a, being. Get this man on an IV of honey, stat. He, he did over 5,000 orbits of the Earth wow. in his time in space. And... What's crazy is he's only he only has the third longest uh, or the third most days in outer space. As as we said, the the first place winner is Gennady Padalka. But is that later ISS era space so, travel? So it is later ISS space travel. Um, all these guys are about the same age. They're all born in. 1958 to 1961, uh, all those cosmonauts, like that that next gen of cosmonauts, are all, you know, weirdly, only 10 years older than I am. 
So you missed your calling. Yeah, they were in their 30s when they were doing this. The the second most days in space, also a Russian, Yuri Malachenko, who has spent 827 days in space and has the distinction of being the first person married in space. To an alien. To uh, Ekaterina Dmitrieva. Fellow fellow uh, cosmonaut? No, she was in Texas and they married over oh, shortwave radio. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was cute. little pandemic era thing. A little bit of a cute thing. Is uh, what happened to Krikalev's health long term? Am I am I jumping ahead or like do- so? Krikalev claims to have suffered long term uh, effects, uh-huh. but is he still alive? Crazily, in our era, yes, this right. did not stop him from going back to space. <gasps> no, he recuperated and became the first cosmonaut to fly on a space shuttle, uh, a U.S. space shuttle. Yes. And the first to go to the International Space Station. He was on the first expedition to the space station uh, in November of 2000. Do you think this was like a symbolic thing, like John Glenn going back up? Or was he just a, a leading cosmonaut? He so? just loved being a cosmonaut. Mm. He was not that much older. And so he comes in third with, although he spent 311 days on, you know, trapped on, um, on Mir. He ended up spending 803 days in space, six separate space missions over the course of his career. And he is still alive, and he is currently the director of human spaceflight for Russia. Oh, interesting. So he is still— He hasn't been deployed to Ukraine. That's good. It doesn't seem like it. Although maybe all of his missiles are being retrofitted to try and take out power plants. But— but he was the last Soviet citizen. I mean, legally, his, does your citizenship only change when you set foot back on Earth? Yeah. You, yeah. Don't, you don't think his Russian citizenship immediately took over? Uh, it didn't apply in orbit? Well, think about Tom Hanks being stuck in that airport for all that time. <laughs> Where was his citizenship? <laughs> Is it like an embassy up there? He's, yeah. not, he's not actually in Russia? I think he's in a, you know, he's in a, a space bubble, and... Um, and he was a he was a Soviet that whole time. Okay. He's in his his suit. Literally says CCCP. Would it say that if he were not a Soviet? So he comes up. I'm holding up the paddle here. He comes up with the compatible with Marxism uh, spacesuit. I think nowadays they should have a little slider on the spacesuit so you can turn you can go back and forth between Russia and CCCP. Well, if, no, what he, he went up compatible with Marxism. That's what I'm saying. And he came down not compatible with Marxism. The spacesuit's got to have both options. And that concludes the last Soviet citizen, or Soviet, entry 702.LA0417, certificate number 35916, in the Omnibus. As we always remind you, you can find us at Omnibus Project on social media, individually at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Uh, You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com or send objects. We're still waiting for those moon rocks at P.O. Box 55744. Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Uh, find fault with this and other episodes at the Futurelings meeting uh, spaces on Facebook and Reddit and elsewhere. Uh, but the most important thing you can do after you've after you've complained and kvetched about the show, uh, you need to do penance before the Russian Orthodox uh, Christmas. Before January 7th, I need you to go to patreon.com slash omnibusproject and pledge your support uh, in the upcoming year. 
Uh, it'll we appreciate those who keep the show going, and I don't think any of them regret the amazing avalanche of uh, new content and uh, advanced perks. No, available to them. No, we will never leave a futureling hanging in space <laughs> for three hundred days. No, uh, that's our that's our vow to you. And not every podcast can make that can make that offer. That's right. Do you know how many people, uh, 99% invisible left in space? Like an uncountable number. Hard to know how many, like it's, it's hard to know how many, I mean, I guess cereal got that guy out of jail, but like they might leave him in space now. We don't know. <laughs> Whoa. That would be really gnarly for them to get him out of, get him out of jail and then put him immediately in space. Yeah, does NPR have uh, like a, any kind of low orbit uh, technology? Probably not. Almost certainly they do. You know what? I'll just uh, I'll just text my friend David Sedaris, see what see what what he knows. Do you do you text David Sedaris? Oh yeah, all the time. We're okay. back and forth. He must have just kind of funny wry observations all the time. He's a in, nut in your phone. He's a nut, but he you know he's always texting me late late at night or early in the morning. Come on, you up? Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. And thank goodness we had the foresight to send them on platinum discs to Mars. It was smart. A lot of people said the expense wasn't going to pencil out, but I'm glad we did it. That's why we need you to support us at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. How else? I mean, platinum discs alone. Very expensive. Many people are saying this. If Providence allows, we wish you many goods and cheese and honey and horseradish and hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the end.